Well, so, so uh, exciting just to hear, again, the stories of, of uh, life change, transformation uh, through the gospel, and that is the story that we are exploring together in the Word of God. Uh, we are turning our attention to God's Word now, so if you have a copy of Scripture with you, I'd encourage you to grab that, pull it out, uh, open up. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Acts as we continue in our series. If you don't have a copy of Scripture, we're uh, going through quite a few verses this morning. We're kind of looking at one of the you know, continued narrative in Acts, so it's really helpful to see it. Uh, we're in the ESV translation. There is one, if you're here in the room, there's one in front of you uh, underneath one of the seats. You are welcome to use that. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. But we are in Acts chapter 5, looking at the second half uh, this morning. And uh, just, uh, again, so good to be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping together. Uh, those of you online, so glad you could uh, be with us as well. Maybe some of you got an early jump on uh, Thanksgiving travel or something, and you're uh, from afar uh, able to uh, still uh, be a part of what God's doing here. So, uh, so encouraged by that. We are in this series, and um, next week uh, we're going to kind of press pause for several weeks uh, as we enter into the Advent season. Um, if you've been around here with City on a Hill, uh, you know that in um, the month of December, the weeks leading up to uh, Christmas, we uh, recognize and remember and think about all the ways that Christ's coming changed and altered um, history and uh, impacted us and the way that the gospel uh, was uh, made possible. It was brought forth through Christ. And, and so we are going to be looking at that. And so we're calling our Advent series this year, um, uh, The Weary World Rejoices. And uh, kind of a timely, um, I think, look at just the hope and the joy and um, the restoration that Christ brings. And we need that. And so this is a perfect place to pause our uh, study and, and um, just uh, look at the book of Acts. We've been now um, in it since uh, the beginning of September, and uh, we've called the series Unstoppable uh, because um, the movement that was started um, through Jesus Christ and uh, the change and transformation that took, took place through the gospel was an unstoppable movement. I mean, today... Here we are, uh, more than 2,000 years later, still doing the very thing that Christ commanded his followers to do, to go make disciples, baptizing them in his name. And here we are doing that. Well, this morning is kind of the perfect place to just sort of uh, put a bit of a capstone on everything that we've seen so far. Uh, we're calling uh, the, the sermon this morning, um, uns The Unstoppable God. Because really, the uh, church was unstoppable. It was only unstoppable because of the unstoppable God. And we're going to see this picture of God's power at work despite anything that would come against it. Uh, kind of the um, central verses, if we want to sort of jump ahead and, and frame it for us, um, you can uh, look to uh, Acts chapter 5. If you scan over to verse 38 and 39, this is kind of the central verses of the passage that we're looking at this morning. It says this, So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. This is the picture that we have. Our God is unstoppable. I just want to tell you this morning, spoiler alert, if you have not scanned through to the rest of Scripture, uh, God wins every time. 
He always, always wins. Like we are not waiting at the edge of our seat wondering how things are going to turn out. God is unstoppable. And we're gonna see this clear picture from the beginning of the church, the way that the unstoppable God was at work in and through his people. And I hope and trust that this is an encouragement to you. I love, love, love uh, this story. It is such a good um, picture of God's power at work. So let's jump into it. Um, Let's just uh, begin there in verse uh, 17. It says this, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees and filled with jealousy, They arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Here's what we're going to see. We're going to see three uh, pictures, three ways that God is unstoppable this morning. The first is this, is that God is unstoppable because God can open any door that he wants to. God can open any door that he wants to. Um, let's remind ourselves what's happening here. Uh, remember, the gospel is beginning to spread. There are now thousands that have responded, 10, even 15,000 people at this point have come to believe in Jesus and are following him. And notice the party of the Sadducees, we talked about them a few weeks ago. Um, they were the uh, sort of ruling, controlling uh, group in the temple, the high priest, his family, all of the uh, council, or most of the council, I should say, were part of this party, this this uh, religious group together. Well, they rose up, all of them together. And look, notice what it says. They were filled with jealousy. They were acting out of jealousy. And I think it's interesting to see why they're responding the way that they were. They weren't responding, trying to protect the holiness of the temple. They weren't trying at this point to defend God's name. Notice what it says. It says they were filled with jealousy. They were jealous of what was happening with the apostles and through the church. I mean, immediately before it, the people gathered around the towns and around Jerusalem, bringing the sick, afflicted with those in unclean spirits, and all were being healed. I mean, people are worshiping, responding to God. There is miracles being done. The people of God are responding, and the high priest and this party of the Sadducees is filled with jealousy. A bit of a maybe note that we should make here. Uh, This is just an important uh, truth to understand this morning. That which fills you will control you. That which fills you will control you. They were filled with jealousy. Therefore, the actions that we're going to see throughout the rest of this chapter is what controlled them. Whatever fills you will ultimately control you. And so maybe that's just a good check that we need to ask this morning. Are you, are you filled with jealousy? Is there envy in your heart over something? Is greed one of the dominating emotions that you feel at times? See, I don't think any uh, of us would love to, would readily want to admit that, but we all should probably search our heart because jealousy can be an extremely destructive thing when it gets into our hearts. If we see other people, we see other situations, we see other families, we see other workplaces, we see whatever else it is, and then we are jealous of that, we desire that, we want that, when that fills our heart, it controls us and drives us to places that God would not have us do. If left unchecked, if we fail to repent, it will control us and will lead us to places that we would never think of going. Look at what they responded with out of jealousy. It says they arrested the apostles and they put them in the public prison. They're trying to put an end to it. They're like, we gotta stop this gospel from going forth. Let's continue, verse 19. It says, but during the night, 
an angel of the Lord opposed the, open, sorry, opened the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. There it is. There it is. God can open any door that he wants to open. So the party of Sadducees arrest, imprison the apostles. What does God do? He uses an angel, which if you remember back a few weeks ago, the Sadducees denied any existence of angels or any miracles or any of that sort of thing. So I kind of love that. God sends an angel. He's like, oh, you don't believe in this, huh? And so uh, the angel comes, opens the prison doors, brings them out. And then what does he say? He says, hey, why don't you guys go back and do what you were doing? Go stand in the temple, speak to the people all the words of this life. And they're like, okay, Let's do it. I mean, you got to imagine the amount of confidence they have at this point. They've been arrested and they've just been set free. And now they're like being told to go and do it again. They're like, we're untouchable, right? We can do this. And so they do it. They go back and they begin to teach. It says at daybreak, they're back in the very place they were just arrested, preaching the gospel to the people. And here's the thing that is so um, so great for us to see in this great picture of us is that God can, he can open any door he wants to. There is nothing that can stay, stand in the way of God and his gospel. When they were locked up, they were being prevented from preaching to the people. God came, opened the doors, and let them free. What a clear, visible picture for us to think about, to be challenged by, to be encouraged by uh, this morning. Now, certainly, I think we have to recognize and understand there's a difference between can and will, right? God can open any door he wants to. Uh, he may not open every door you want him to. Some of us have been praying for doors to open, situations to change, desires that we would have or maybe even expect. God, I don't understand why this isn't going this way. But God will and can open every door that he wants to. He can. He can. So if he doesn't, that means there's always a reason for what he does. There's always a reason for what he does. But he can open any door that he wants to. You know, we've seen this uh, already at play and at work in the life of our uh, church, just even in the short years that we've been in existence as a church um, this past uh, year and a half plus, whatever we're up to now, has been a challenge to any and every church. And many of the things that we were doing to impact and, and reach out to our community and care and show the love of Christ to those around us were um, sort of limited, right? We had, we had to kind of get creative. And I remember last January, so January of uh, this year, uh, we were kind of coming out of winter. Remember, there was that huge kind of spike around uh, Christmas, and everyone was sort of hunkered down, and then things sort of sort of calming down a little bit. Well, last January, together as a church, we uh, dove in together into a season of prayer and fasting as a church. We were praying together. We had um, uh, kind of a, a fasting kind of a call to fasting. We were, we were all fasting and, and praying about some specific things. And one of the things that I was specifically praying about, not just me, but several others in the church was specifically praying about was, um, I remember writing this down on my prayer card and, and just saying, God, would you open up an opportunity for us to intentionally love our neighborhood right now in the season and place that we are in? 
and prayed for that for um, several weeks there in January. And then, lo and behold, what happened is I got this random phone call one day uh, from another pastor, and he said, hey, there is an extra truck of food that needs to come to Wisconsin. It's coming in like 10 days. Is your church, would your church be willing to take it and hand out food in your community? And many of you remember our food box giveaways. We got semi-trucks full of food, 33,000 pounds of food, 1,100 boxes of food that was all fresh, all uh, perishable food um, given out into the community. And this was just sort of dropped in our lap. Um, We weren't uh, chasing this thing down. We weren't doing anything. I'm I'm sitting there praying, God, we feel constrained. We feel, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of tied down in what we can do. God, what are we going to do? And he's like, oh, I've got it already figured out here. Why don't you take this massive semi full of food uh, brought to you by the U.S. government, um, you know, paid for by the government. Uh, It was totally free to us. We didn't pay a dime. Uh, It was was a, a USDA Farmers to Families program. They're partnering with churches. And so what did we do? We set up shop up here, handed it out, uh, the first couple times we were like, sure, we can give out all 1,100 boxes all by ourselves, um, even though we've never done that before. And what we did is we had hundreds and hundreds of people come through our parking lot. And as they came, what did we do? We said, hey, can we pray for you? Can we minister to you? Is there something that you, I, I'm sure you're going through a hard time? Can we just come before the Lord together with you? And we saw hundreds of people respond and say, yes, yes, I would love that. And we got to pray, we got to minister to literally hundreds and hundreds of families. Well, that wasn't the only time that we got to do that. We then got to repeat that five more times. We had six food box giveaways collectively uh, through all of them. We partnered with many other churches, not even just in this county. It was going all over the place, but we we handed out nearly 200,000 pounds of food. There were thousands of families that were served and blessed through that and hundreds and hundreds that we got to pray with and minister to and point to the hope of the gospel. Listen, God can open any door he wants to. We weren't looking for that. There was nothing we could have done to make that happen. We prayed, and he's like, here's the door. You just need to walk through it. I'm opening this for you. It was such an incredible picture of that. Some of you here in our church today are a direct result of the ministry that happened through those giveaways. Not only that, but I've encountered countless people throughout the community um, that know of us through those things. Uh, the community of Fitchburg has seen that. Uh, I was just at a community event the other day and was with one of the city officials and, and he was introducing me to a few folks and, and kept saying, like, this, this church is like doing some great stuff here in our community. They're, they're blessing our community. Uh, you gotta meet um, and hear about what's happening here at this church and, and, and what God's doing. He wasn't saying that, but I'm thinking like, this is God, okay? Like, this, isn't, this is us. This is God working through that and, um, and he is opening this door. You see, God for the church opened the door for them. And so how do we respond? Well, I would just challenge you with this. Pray and ask that God will open that door which seemingly seems shut to the gospel. What a timely message as we are getting ready. Some of us this week are getting in our cars or Maybe other family members, if you're the lucky ones, are coming to you, or maybe not so lucky, I don't know. Um, But there's uh, going to be uh, some family together, maybe some friends together this week and the coming weeks as we approach Christmas. I know for many of us there are opportunities where the door for the gospel has seemingly been shut maybe for a long, long time. Would we pray, would we ask that this year would be different? This year, given all that we've walked through, 
all that we've experienced, everything that we would seek after the hope that is found in Christ Jesus and that he would open up the door that it would be received. You see, we know that with God it is possible. And here's the encouraging thing for us is is even as we pray for some of these doors to be opened, which by the way, if we're praying for open and closed doors, this is like the most biblical place that you can do that. We all don't always get that right in how we apply this, but this is one place that I think we can see it clearly, right? So if we're praying for some of these doors to open, there are doors, again, that you guys are praying for, that you have been praying for to be open, and God has not opened them yet. And I just want to encourage you with this. I just want to encourage you with this, is that we would look forward to the day when we know the door has been opened. For anyone who calls on the name of Jesus We will be saved. Jesus said, I am the door. He is the way by which we find life. We find protection. We find healing. We find wholeness. Even if that door which you so desperately desires never opens for you here on this side of eternity, we can trust him knowing that our eternity, that eternal door is open to us through Jesus Christ. And we have but to look forward and to wait and to long for that day, knowing that in, in that day, everything will be seen in its light and we will understand God's working and his power here. That is the door that we ultimately need open and he has opened it wide. Any door that God wants, he can open. He's unstoppable. The next way that God is unstoppable that we are going to see here, and I'll give it to you and I'll show it to you in the text, is this, is that God can overrule any leader that opposes him. God can overrule any leader that opposes him. Let me show it to you in the text. Look at uh, verse 21, the second half there. It says, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. Okay, I love picturing this. They're, they're there. I'm sure, um, you know, the high priest's uh, robe is like, you know, freshly pressed, like just picked it up from the dry cleaner. Like everybody's in, in place. You know, they got all the seats, all the pomp and circumstance. Everything is kind of ready for this day. They're going to put these guys on trial, right? So the entire Senate is there and they send off. They're like, hey, bring us, bring us those men. And so they sent to the prison to have them brought. But look what happens in verse 22. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported. They said, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. How great is that? Like, it's totally untouched. It's undisturbed. They had no idea. The guards are just doing their thing. They're standing there. They're out there like, hey, we need to see the prisoners. Okay, you know, open them in. They're like, uh hey, uh, what's going on here? Uh, No one's in here. What are you talking about? I've been here all night, right? Nobody is there. And then look at this. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. I I would guess so, right? And wondering what would this, what would come, what would, what this would come to, right? Like, what are we going to do with this? What, What, these guys are like slippery guys. Like, we can't, we can't seem to nail them down. And then look, someone came and told them, he says, hey, look, the men who you put in prison, they're standing in the temple and teaching the people. It's not in the text, but I'm sure it's like, are you kidding me? Like, again? Like, they're just back there doing it? Like, we just locked them up yesterday, and they're already back doing it all over again. What is going on? Then the captain with the officers went and brought them 
but not by force because they were afraid of being stoned by the people. I mean, people were responding to this message. They were responding to what the people or the apostles were saying. And I love, I love this picture that we see here with the contrast of the plans of man versus the plans of God. You know, listen, you and I can make plans all day long. We can have our plans, we can have our things in place, but the plans of man are not always and often not uh, directly aligned with the plans of God. See, this high priest, the council, they thought they, thought they were going to kind of settle this matter, right? They, 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 they called, hey, bring them, and so much control, right? They, they thought that they could just kind of control these guys, stop them, we're going to put an end to this, we're going to like, you know, squash this right now. And it's amazing, right? And honestly, it's a little comical of how it kind of goes down. I mean, God is just saying, he's like, no, you can't. Like, you can't stop this. And so God, God can oppose or overrule any leader that opposes him. They are trying to stop him and they can't. And notice what happens when they come. Verse 27, they brought them and they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet... Here you are. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Underline that in your Bible. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give us repentance and to forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. See, so he understands here the difference between the fear of God versus the fear of man. They had this down. We must obey God rather than men. And here's the thing. When the plans of men or the rule of man opposes the rule of God, God's rule wins out. And that is not just true in this sort of sense, in a kind of large sweeping, um, you know, uh, ruling kind of sense, but this is true even in our daily lives. I mean, how many times, right, do we let the fear of man overrule or override the fear of God? We know God's power. We know God's ability. We know his call on us. And how many times in that situation do we back down and do we forget God's ability to work? But listen, God can overrule any leader which would oppose him. We need to remember this. The other thing that we need to remember, the fear of God versus fear of man, we also need to remember who's really in charge, right? This is just a reminder. We God is really in charge. Notice what Peter says here. He kind of changes um, the language a little bit of what he has said in the past. He kind of puts a little nuance on it. He says, God exalted him, verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. So many times we see Lord and savior. He's using a specific uh, word there that's a little different than that typical word of Lord. He's leading us. Like he's the one who's giving the orders, right? We're following Jesus right now. We're not following you. We're following him. And so we need to remember who's really in charge and who's really our leader. Jesus is our leader. And let's be clear about that. Like Jesus is the head of this church. Jesus is the head of our home. 
Jesus is the head over the entire world. There is no political system. There is no ruler. There is no uh, just common law which is going to supersede or overcome the power and rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And I think um, you're going to see from an unlikely source, this is this Pharisee, who we're going to see again, but um, Gamaliel uh, has some wisdom for them. Look at what happens in verse 33. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Notice the quick jump. I mean, jealousy, what did I say? Jealousy, what fills your heart will control it. They are now uh, not just arresting, but they want to see them murdered, trying to kill them. Uh, but a Pharisee named uh, in the council, uh, named uh, Gamaliel, um, uh, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He's like, hey, let's just talk about this, okay? And what he said to them, he said, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days, uh, Thedius rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. And he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, and he too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail, right? He's saying, he's like, listen, we've seen this before. Like, remember these guys? They, they sort of, they, they, they kind of rose up. They, they, they pitched some, some big ideas. They, they kind of garnered a little bit of a following. They even got a few hundred people to follow them. But eventually they died and everything just sort of fizzled out. Uh, there, was, there was nothing more to be uh, seen or heard of them. He's like, listen, this Jesus, these men, this Peter, this John, these, uh, what are they called, apostles, um, Let's just let them run their course and it's gonna you know, maybe create a little bit of a buzz, but if it's a plan from man, it's just going to fail. But, notice what he says, we already read it, verse 39, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. He's like, I think the end will tell who's really in charge here. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And you know what? He was right. He was right. If you oppose the church, you are opposing God. If you are opposing God, you will lose every single time. God always wins. His plans, his purposes always win out. He is building his church and he is leading his people. And he wants us, he desires for us to find comfort in that. What others, what the enemy intends for evil, God can use for good. That's not just something that um, is a platitude or something that we just put on coffee cups or something like that. Like that's a reality that needs to like wrestle and, 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 and settle in our souls. That God can take that which others or the enemy might intend for evil and he can use it for good. He can bring good out of this situation. In the end, he wins every time, right? This is why you and I, we need to be in the scriptures more. We need to be with our noses in the Bible. Why? Because it reminds us of this truth. Every story you see, God wins. Oh, there he is. He's winning again. We're reminded of that because if our news intake outweighs our Bible intake, you might forget this. You might look around and you're like, man, things look pretty bleak. Like this is not going so good. 
Like every time I open up the news, I just kind of like hope. I'm like, maybe, maybe it's all better now. And it's like, it's getting worse, right? And it's just like, we now call, we have a term for it, right? Doom scrolling. We're just like doom scrolling. And it's like, this is not getting any better. Here's the thing. We got to take our nose out of the news, put it back in the Bible. And we're reminded that in the end, God wins. He wins. We need to spend time in real relationships with people. And what you're going to see is you're going to see that the gospel is still advancing, the gospel is continuing to transform lives. God is still at work. What we're celebrating this weekend in the these six that are being baptized is God's work in our midst. You know, these men, with all their plans, right, with all their pomp and circumstance and all their outfits and their counsel and all the things that they had, they would have never thought that someday, think about this, someday the world would adopt a worldwide calendar system centered on the birth and life of Christ. What year is it? What year is it right now? Go ahead, you know. I know, you just don't want to say it, right? You're like, okay, we're over it. We just want, it's 2021. 2021 what? A.D. How do we track or how do we even know what year it is? Our calendar system that the entire world has now come to adopt. It took centuries to adopt it, but it was proposed by a pope and it was eventually adopted. Our entire calendar system is based on the birth of Christ. A.D. stands for Anno Domini. The year of our Lord, B.C., we use that in the English as before Christ. I mean, this is, there's a pivotal thing that happened. Jesus, the Son of God, was born. We're getting ready to celebrate that. And it is not the same since. And I love what, uh, what the world is trying to do. Many have adopted now this before common era and common era. Have you seen that? B.C.E. and C.E.? Okay, you can change the name, but still, what's the, what's the pivotal point? It's still the same thing, right? You, you, can't, like, you can't move it over or kind of you know, scramble it around. It still is that there is not another person on the planet that has ever lived that we have based a calendar system off of like that. Jesus wins. He wins. Today, there are estimated around 2.5 billion people worldwide who claim to follow Christ in some capacity or some form. We're not going to kind of parse out how many of those got it all right or whatever. We're just knowing that there are, there, are, there are more than 2 billion people now that have come. I mean, this all was birthed from this. Christ wins. God wins every time. And there's no ruler who is going to overcome him. We need to be encouraged by this. It started with 12. There's no movement like this because there is no other leader like Jesus. There's no other leader like Jesus. He is our leader. We are following him. And here's what we're going to see is that he can overcome any obstacle. This is the third point. God can overcome any obstacle in his way. God is unstoppable because he can overcome any obstacle in his way. Look at this. They took his advice, and so when they called in the apostles, what did they do? They beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And what did they do? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The name, the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Now this phrase here that they beat them, um, there's, we, we can suspect or kind of um, most believe that that would have been sort of that 39 lashes. I mean, their backs were ripped open. It was not just, you know, a minor, a minor beating. This was brutal. But yet, 
verse 41, they left the presence rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer. I don't know about you, that's a convicting verse to read. I underlined it in my Bible because I know I have a long ways to go from that. That I would count it worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. There would be nothing that would prohibit or prevent me from sharing and preaching about Jesus as Messiah. As much as I'd like to think that I would weather that the same, I don't know that I would. We haven't been tested that way. We haven't seen that. And I'm not, no one's like looking for that or or desiring of that, right? None of us want to do that. But here's the truth is that when we see, and we've said this before, every time the church is persecuted, it prospers. It scatters. It goes forth. I, um, I came across this in my study, and, and I foolishly didn't write it down, and so I'm going to kind of try and get it right. But there's this phrase um, that was used um, in the early days of the church, and uh, translated from Latin, it, it said, um, the blood of Christians is like seed. It's like seed. The more blood that's spilled, the more that the gospel goes forward. And we see this to be true. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, did a great summary of the outcome for the apostles in the early church. I just want to read it to you. He writes this. He says, if the church traditions are correct, Matthew, Matthew knew the reality of an angelic presence when he suffered martyrdom by the sword. So did Mark when he died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke experienced the same when he was hanged on a large olive tree in Greece. It was John's realization that he was scarred in a cauldron of boiling oil and lived out his last days banished on an island. And so it was with Peter as he was crucified upside down in Rome, James as he was beheaded in Jerusalem, James the less when he was thrown from a high pinnacle and beaten to death with a club, Philip when he was hanged, Bartholomew when he was scourged and beaten until he died, Andrew when he was bound to a cross and preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he perished, Thomas when he was run through with a lance, Jude who was killed by executioners, arrows, Matthias who was stoned and then beheaded, Barnabas, who suffered the same fate of Salonika, and Paul, who was beheaded in Rome, on and on and on the list goes. This is how the church began. It began with this willingness, this conviction to the point of being willing to suffer and then being counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of the name. You see, God can overcome any obstacle in his way. He has used the difficulty, the persecution, even the death of the church to spread the gospel, the hope, the truth, the life to people that desperately needed to hear it. I'm just telling you, I don't know what obstacle is in front of you. But if it's standing and opposed to the gospel, I know that God can use that. He can overcome that for his good and for his glory and for that to then be made manifest in your life. We know the end of the story. He is unstoppable. And so listen, church, we need to be encouraged this morning. We need to be motivated this morning. We need to be uh, uh, built up and, and, and sent out this morning. We need to remember that it is not up to us. He is doing it. If we are on his side, we are on the winning side, right? He is going to get it done every single time. If you are pursuing the things that he has called you to, you are pursuing things that will lead to life and to godliness 
and to prosperity and to hope and to all these things that we desire so desperately for, they're found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. And we need to preach, we need to proclaim him with every opportunity that we have. And again, I've said it before, I don't know. I don't know where this world is going. We can see the trends in which it's going. I don't know if this is going to be our story someday that we're going to have to give an account in this way. But would we, would it be said of us, would we be able to claim, verse 41, that we would rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name? Because it is the name above every name. It is the name that brings life. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your hope and your life that you offer freely through your work, through your son, Jesus, upon the cross. God, thank you for calling us to this great work. God, we give you praise this morning because you are victorious. Jesus, you are leading us And God, we want to follow. We're willing to follow. We want to follow, God, wherever you would have us go. And so, Lord, I just pray that that would be the commitment of our heart, God, the cry from our soul, Lord, that desire to follow you wherever you would lead us. God, make us your people. God, give us this type of courage. Lord, would we have confidence in the things that we've seen, the things that we've heard, and the things that we know God, we have confidence in who you are and the way that you're working. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen your church. God, I pray that not just for this church, for City on a Hill, but God, I pray that for the churches across the city, God, the Church of Madison. I pray that for the churches across the state and across our country, God, and across our globe. Lord, that you would continue to build up and to equip your saints for such a time as this. Lord, we see so much chaos, so much change, so much swirling around, but Lord, we know that when we fix our eyes on you, we have our eyes fixed on a point that will not move. God, you are our anchor, you are our foundation, you are our hope, and so we praise you, we worship you. Lord, we follow you. I pray that you would continue to grow this, to develop us in this. Lord, that this confidence would come from you and you alone. God, we give you praise in all that we have and all that we say and all that we do. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.